Let's go. Good morning, everyone. This morning, we're continuing in our study of Matthew. Remember the purpose of Matthew, always wanting to make sure we keep the purpose in mind. Matthew's goal, by the Spirit's leading, this is not Matthew's personal prerogative. He is being led by the Holy Spirit. And he's being given information and uh, construction, if you would, of how to construct this gospel by the Holy Spirit. So this is the Spirit's presentation of the gospel of the person of Christ as God's Messiah, as given to Matthew. So it's God's presentation by the Spirit to Matthew and through Matthew to us. <clears throat> and this morning, we're go- coming into the second sermon, if you would, of Jesus. The first sermon was chapters 5 through 7, where Jesus talked about the character of the kingdom. And then chapters 8, 9 were the authority or the power of the kingdom. This morning in chapter 10, we talk about the mission of the kingdom. And so this is just some outline that the Lord had given me, you know, you can use it, whatever it is, but the mission of the kingdom. And as we go into this particular chapter, and the the activity or the thought of this chapter will go into the next couple of chapters, but specifically this is a chapter much more of sermonizing, so this will be the second sermon, if you would, uh, uh, that's normally the way we uh, people consider Matthew. The first sermon is the Sermon on the Mount, 5 to 7. The second one would be chapter 10. As we look at this sermon, let's keep this in mind. The mission of the church is the mission of God's image bearers. Remember always in studying any of the Gospels and looking at any of the epistles or the book of Acts, or the book of Revelation. Now, have I said everything about the New Testament in that? Everything about the New Testament, of course the old, but the new, from the beginning verse of Matthew to the ending verse in Revelation 22, everything that is there is as a consequence of God's creative purpose as stated in Genesis 1.26, we must see, if we're going to see the Bible from God's perspective and according to God's plan and purpose to understand the flow, we must see that what God does in Genesis 1.1 is to create. And then in Genesis 1.26, he tells us essentially why he has created everything because by the time we get to Genesis 1.26, everything has been created except humanity. Why have I created humanity? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then in the rest of the verse, he rounds it off, verse 27, he says this is what he did, which is the chapter 2, chapter 2 of Genesis tells you what he did, which is in verse 27, he did it. And then in verse 28, he tells us basically how that image bearer is to live, how those image bearers are to live. We won't go back into all that. Essentially speaking, however, is remember when Adam sinned, Verse 3 of chapter 3, um, verse 6 of chapter 3, and he ate. Everything came to an end as far as God's purpose is concerned, at least temporarily so, because God was already prepared for it. Ephesians 1, 4, before the foundation of the world. God is ready. God knows. He is already on the move forward. 
And after that verse of 6 in chapter 3, we begin the irrevocable, continual, persistent pursuit of God's purpose toward the fulfillment in another man who will be the second or the last Adam who will in himself and by himself absolutely, completely, and forever fulfill everything that God had as a purpose for Adam. And in this man, he will be not made in the image of God, but he will be the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. And as a result of him being the image of the invisible God, paying the full price of all the uh, uh, the sin and all the the, event, uh, the results of the fall in himself, paying all that, John 19, 30, it is finished. Then in his resurrection, God sets forth upon the earth a man, the man after his own image, and that man is raised to the heavens, exalted, and then sends the Holy Spirit into the world to begin to gather God's image bearers whom God has foreknown before the foundation of the world and begins to gather God's image bearers into the church so that the church will be the community on earth that is reflective or imaging the community of God in the heavens. And all of that will be fully consummated, completely fulfilled in Revelation 21 and 22. That's what we're seeing. This grand and glorious work of our God. And so when we get to chapter 10 here, these are teachings and these are foreshadowings in the ministry of Jesus that is explaining to us what this community of God's image bearers is to look like. This is the church. So Jesus begins to explain some of this, not everything, but begins to give us points of information and points of revelation and points of activity that will begin to show us. And the whole thing obviously comes into fruition on the day of Pentecost, which Keith will preach about next Sunday is the day of Pentecost. When on that day, God's great purpose as fulfilled in Christ at the cross and in the resurrection comes to his people so that on the day of Pentecost, Emmanuel becomes a living reality. Amen. God with us, us with God. Everything, I don't know if I can get through this, everything since Genesis 3-6, everything since Genesis 3-6, everything since Genesis 3-6 is now poured into and poured out for the purpose of getting to Pentecost. Jesus came and was conceived by the Spirit to get to Pentecost. He was baptized at the Jordan to get to Pentecost. He went into the wilderness to confront the devil to get to Pentecost. He lived all those years and ministered those two and a half or three years to get to Pentecost. He was arrested. He was tried. He was convicted falsely, and he was crucified, dead and buried, to get to Pentecost. He rose from the dead to get to Pentecost. He ascended into heaven to get to Pentecost. He was exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords with all authority over he in heaven and earth to get to Pentecost. And then he puts it into fruition on the day of Pentecost. Now we are where God wants us, and all that is remaining is to get the church into new heavens and a new earth. That's what we see here. Do you see it? 
I want you, I I believe God wants us to see this. So when we read this Bible, it's not just, okay, he did this, Jesus did that. It's like, look what's happening here. Look what is going on here. Chapter 10. This is the second of five sermons. Jesus is answering the need. Remember in the last chapter, he says, look at all, I'm not sure if I have the uh, quote here right, but he says, Look at all the sheep, sheep without a shepherd. The field is filled with harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest do what? Send laborers into the harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest. Who is the harvest? We are the harvest. God's image bearers of the harvest. Pray that God send laborers into the field. And so chapter 10 begins to answer that prayer request. Verses 1 through 4. And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over all unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Do you see it? His disciples will be the image bearers whose testimony of the risen Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit will do this work of casting out demons, healing every disease and every affliction and unclean spirits. And whatever. The names of the twelve apostles are these. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Remember, James and John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the Canaan, uh, the Canaanian. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So, this chapter begins by Jesus commissioning his disciples to join him. Very important. We are joining God in his work. Please write this down if you don't know it. God is not joining us. We join God. We ask God to give us understanding and revelation where he is going, what he is doing, what he is saying, how the kingdom is to operate, and we submit into that into his work, into his words, into his ways. We submit into that. That's what we pray for rather than, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this and that. Please bless me. Please bless me. Please bless me. No, Lord, is this your work? Am I joining you in what I'm doing? Give me understanding here. Revelation. Now, if you're not sure and and you understand it's a good work, you go ahead. But we ask God for the revelation of, am I walking with you? Am I walking In Christ, not asking Christ to walk in me. Do you notice the difference in the Bible? We walk in him. He does not walk in us in that kind of a context. I know that he's with us, but you understand what I'm saying. And so, in this way, Jesus, the lost sheep, remember? Lost sheep. In this way, the lost sheep will be found and led by him. How? Through us. Through us. We are the ones whom Jesus commissions, calls, commissions, gifts, and anointed. We are the ones whom God calls, then he commissions, and then he gifts us, and then he anoints us for going out into the field and getting the lost sheep to gather the harvest. 1 Peter 5, 2. Be shepherds of God's flock. Now, Peter's writing to the elders, and that is not exclusive just to the elders because the elders are to shepherd God's flock in a particular and a peculiar way with spiritual authority that others are not given. But we are all to be shepherding one another. 
to be shepherd God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Now, verses 5 and 6. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Oh, yeah. You see, Jesus doesn't like other people. He wants just the Jews. I mean, look at it. Don't go to these other people. They're not one of us. Just go to our folks. Well, what's happening here? First of all, 12 disciples. Why 12? Remember the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember the 12 apostles that we just read from. The number 12 represents the total number of the people of God to be saved. It is a number that represents the total or the whole house of Israel. All the people of God. So the number 12 is a representative number. It is an actual number that represents or has a spiritual meaning beyond the number itself. And in the economy of God, these 12 men represent the full work of God to bring in the full number of God's people. God has a number of people to be saved. He has a number of people who are his own. That is a number that God himself has. Is it the 144,000 in Revelation? No. It is much more than that. God has a specific number. No one, it will not be one less or one more than God's number. And the number that God has, he alone knows. And so we are sent into the world by the Holy Spirit to be casting the net, bringing in the fish, you know, ministering the gospel as each one of God's people, one by one, two by two, three by three, a hundred at a time in an evangelistic service, however, are brought into the kingdom. Not one of God's ordained people will ever be lost. Can you say amen? Not one of God's ordained people will ever be lost. Not even one. Not even one. In sending his disciples first to the lost sheep of Israel. Remember, don't go anywhere else. Don't go to the Gentiles. Stay here. Stay among the people. Jesus is not excluding the Gentile nations, but beginning with the people of God's covenant. And so you see that in the book of Acts. Peter begins to preach the gospel on in Acts chapter 2. And the house of Israel is assembled there. Everybody in Israel? No. But those whom God has called to hear and to receive and to respond and be saved by the gospel, all of those people are in that audience. How many were saved that day? How many were saved? 3,000. Now, I don't know how large the audience was. It could have been 3,000. It could have been 20,000. I don't know. But everyone whom God ordained would be the first fruit of the Pentecost event were there that day. Nobody missed. Get it? Nobody stayed home. God ordained and decreed and made sure that all of his people who were going to be saved that day through Peter's preaching were saved. And they're all Jews or proselytes, you know, those who'd come into Israel. But you see... The, the issue is this, first to the house of Israel. Now you see that, this is what we see. You will be my witnesses first in Acts 1.8. He says what? You're going to be my witnesses. Stay in Jerusalem to the disciples before the day of Pentecost. Stay here, hang around a little while, and receive the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the other ends of the world. Now what does that say? 
What do we see there when Jesus promises and the Pentecost Sunday comes when these nations begin to be saved? What do we see? What are we seeing? Go back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis one twenty-eight, And the Lord says, my image bearers, what? My image bearers, he tells Adam, subdue and rule and spread it to what? Fill the earth. Fill the earth. Remember Genesis 17 verse 4. Abraham, the Lord says, I'm going to make you a father of what? A few people. What? I'm going to make you a father of nations. In you, all the nations will be blessed. And so we see that being promised and being prophesied and being carried out beginning on the day of Pentecost. All the nations. Do we see now where all of this has to do with the fulfillment of God's purpose in Genesis 126-28? That's why it is imperative if we're going to properly understand the word and how it holds together in its consistency and comprehensiveness, we have to know what Genesis 126-28 means. We have to see those three verses throughout the Bible. Those are the umbrella verses from Genesis 3, 6 all the way to Revelation at the end of 22. Verse 7 and 8. What are you going to say when you get there? What are the, what are the image bearers going to say? And you're going to go around saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he said you're going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Why? First of all, we are preachers. Every, did, how many of you know that you're a preacher? Yes. Everyone is to be a testimony of Christ. Remember? In Genesis Acts 1.8. You're going to testify of me. Every one of us are preachers. Now, some of us are more preachy than others, but all of us are preachers. <laughs> what is our message? What is our message? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Our message is the person and life and ministry of Jesus Christ in us by the Spirit being manifested as he is conforming us to the image of God's Son. And as that conforming becomes visibly active through us as we care and love one another and as we go into the world and by our testimony be proclaiming God's message of the gospel. And by the way, God's message of the gospel will always hook God's people. Don't you ever worry that you didn't do a good job in ministering or preaching the gospel. I don't know whether you did a good job in your own estimation or not, but the good job is this, ministering the gospel. That's the success. The success is not how many people are one. The success is our obedience to God, allowing him to cast the net through our being able to preach the gospel by the Spirit. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. This is the activity that happens when the gospel goes into the world. These disciples are sent out with the gospel message of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is sending the disciples into the world as those who will image his character and authoritative deeds. We are imaging Jesus' character, the character essentially of love, and his authoritative deeds of power. 
And that is happening as the Holy Spirit, as I said, is conforming us to the image of his son, Romans 20, wow, there it goes, 829. And as we are cooperative with that, that character and authoritative activity of Jesus is coming out from us into the world. Each of these signs, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Each of these signs or each of these authoritative deeds are signs of the anticipated and guaranteed, I should have put in here, anticipated and guaranteed spiritual work of the Holy Spirit in preparing the hearts of God's lost sheep to be gathered into his house. Now, what does that mean? It means this, that the primary activity that we should expect to see as believers is not going up to someone who is blind. Where you at, brother? Not going to someone who's blind and saying, in the name of Jesus, be, be healed. No, that's not the primary activity. When Jesus says these authoritative deeds will follow you, the primary activity is the spiritual essence of it. Those who are spiritually blind will what? See because of the gospel. Those who are spiritually unable to walk will what? Walk because of the gospel. Those who are spiritually held in the chains under Satan's control will be what? Freed because of the gospel. However, that in no way in our understanding of the word means that there are no longer any authoritative physical signs associated with the preaching of the gospel. We know that the Holy Spirit still does that kind of, if you would, what do we call them? Charismatic signs? What, what is it called? Spiritual gifts, as we see in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, we know that those gifts still operate. But the emphasis of the church is not on the physical manifestation of the gifts. It is on the spiritual activity of the Holy Spirit to do what the gifts signify and also be used as one who would be used in the ministry of the gifts. Amen? We don't want to, as a Pentecostal or charismatic church or any church doesn't want to. It's wrong to put the manifestation of the gifts, getting people healed from their blindness and walk and and all of that. We do not want to make that the primary issue. The primary issue is the winning of God's people through the transformation of their hearts, as we see in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 27. That's the issue of the gospel. And God will regularly, as he wills, at his time and into whatever person or activity, he gives authentication to that through activities of the physical activities of healing people and, and causing them to walk and, and blind to see and whatever. Do we get that? We don't want to turn the thing upside down. We want to make sure that we see it God's way. So does everybody understand this morning, we do not believe that the Holy Spirit's work has ceased. We're not cessationists. We're what we call, Ronald, what's it called? Continuationists, I think is the term. 
It's one of those big words that Evan uses, and I'm still trying to catch up with it. We are continuationists. In other words, the regular work of the Holy Spirit that we see in the Bible from the very beginning to the very end still happens today. But it happens under his control. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, as he will, and Ephesians 4, as he wills. So let us be true Pentecostals. True Pentecostals, those who have been receiving the Holy Spirit and who are moving in the power of the Holy Spirit and who are seeing the work of the Holy Spirit under our hand through our voices as a result of our living, the powerful regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives and from time to time, and maybe regularly for some others, some, depending on God, we will see people saved. I mean, people physically. We were in Russia. Uh, Frank, I just had to tell the story. We were in Russia in, uh, what is it, 94, the Toliati, the first Toliati meeting. 93, 92. We had a bunch of us went to Russia in 92, whatever. And we're in this very large room in Toliati. And there's a big circle of folks in there. I don't remember what date it was, Frank. I'm too old. It was in the 90s summertime. It was our first meeting, our first time in Russia. Big circle of men and all these well-known pastors. I mean, these men have been in the field for years ministering, years. I'm sitting in there. I come from a Methodist background. You may not know what that means, but it doesn't mean spiritual gifts, brother. (laughs) But I've been in the church since 78, and I really believe this. And actually, well, I won't give you all, okay. I'm sitting there. Mike Hennon, who is kind of in charge, walks in the back door all the way around, passing all these people, comes right up to me, and he says, Peter, I want you to go in the room next to us and cast out the demon that is in this lady. (laughs) Well, I thought it was a joke. Say what? I thought it was a joke. Jody, I thought that, you know, ha, ha, ha. But he wasn't joking. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I got up. I walked into the other room. There's a lady sitting in the very large room with about four ladies around her. And this lady is sitting in this chair. <laughs> no, that's, that's what, what you're hearing. That's what you hear. And these other ladies are speaking in tongues. Well, the first thing I had to do, stop speaking in tongues. Because you're edifying God. But let's begin to pray. And, and that, by the way, that's not an admonition for us not to speak in tongues. We should pray in tongues regularly. But pray. I've never done this before. I don't know what to do other than to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit at that moment. I don't have time to whip out a spiritual manual. But the Bible says, be ready in season and out of season, always to give a reason for the hope that is within you. So I, I go up to her, and I put my hand, and she grabs my arm like vice grips. I believe she could have even lifted you off the ground. This lady, strong. And I began to pray. Come out of her. In Jesus' name, come out of her. I'm not yelling or screaming. It doesn't mean that if you rage, you, please misunderstand. Don't misunderstand. I'm not stepping on other people's ways of being led by the Spirit. I'm just telling you what happened in me. So don't go out of here. Well, Peter, no, don't do that. Come out of her. 
You're coming out of her. You're coming out. Now, all of these people are Russian. They don't understand anything except one person understands, and that is Natasha is there. She's there. She understands. I said, but don't translate. So all they hear me say, blah, 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 blah. That's all they know. And the woman in the chair, blah, 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 blah. She doesn't know what that means. And finally, <sighs> she relaxes. Man, my arm is going to come. <laughs> and then I'm thinking to the Lord. This is my conversation with God, Billy. Now what? Well, really, what would you say? Right? What would you say? Anton, what? Now, now what do I do, Phil? What do I do now? I don't have any other elders in there like you to tell me what to do. I don't know what to do next. I don't know what to do. All I know, and the best place I'm in, is to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I never know what, have to know what to do. All I have to do is hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, he may tell me through others, but I have to hear that. And the thought came to my mind. Say this. Now, I'm speaking in English. She's hearing in Russian. And nobody understands except Natalia or Natasha. I said... Father, and I prayed out loud, if this demon has been cast out, cause her to stand, raise her hand, and start praising God. Now, how improbable is that? <laughs> really? I mean, really? And I'm saying, and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> Couldn't I just walk out? <laughs> and I'm standing there. And I'm standing there. And all of a sudden, up she comes. Raising her hands and in Russian praising God. I don't know whether she still is today, but after that, she was not only saved, but she became the secretary of the church. Her name is Yulia. You see, these signs will follow us. But the primary sign is the sign of the authority of Jesus by the Spirit to free people from Satan's control in the Spirit and give them spiritual eyes and abilities to walk and to minister. And the physical signs will come from time to time as the Holy Spirit directs to authenticate and manifest what God is doing in the Spirit. Don't we see? You receive without paying, without pay. Verses 8 can acquire no gold, silver, copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, no tunics. <clears throat> what Jesus is saying here essentially is, while he's there, look to him. Just look to him, depend on him. It doesn't mean that ministers who are uh, doing this full-time should not be paid. It simply means that during that particular season, this is what Jesus wants. He wants them to learn not to look to what they're making and how they're going to do it, whatever, but just look to him while he's there. He's still here, but now the administration of the needs of those who are full-time in the ministry are given through the church. Verse 11 to 15, And whatever town or village you enter, fill out, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. I mean, Jesus would not be doing well on evangelistic test. That's not the answer we want. The answer is continue and continue and continue. Yes and no. 
Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable or bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for these folks. Every time we minister the gospel. What do I mean by minister the gospel? Being righteous light to the world. In character and in deeds. You understand that? Being light to the world. Righteous light to the world in character and deeds. Every time we minister the gospel, there will either be a rejection or a reception. Now, some reception will look like rejection at that point, but God is at work to produce reception out of what would naturally have been rejection, but there will be rejection that remains rejection because God is not going to create reception out of rejection except in his people. I don't know if you got all that, but if you didn't, you just have to get the uh, tape. I don't have it written down here. Those who will receive the message will be blessed with God's peace. Remember, you give them peace. Romans 5.1. What does that say? Having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. And so when they receive peace, peace, the war is over. The war is over. God has declared peace over you through the cross of Christ. And you've received the peace of God as you receive Christ. Those who reject the message will be judged. And their judgment will be more harsh than the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, don't ask me any details. But apparently, the, the judgment of unbelievers has some kinds of levels of harshness. Now, I don't get that. You know, you would think everybody who has rejected God and has been thrown away, if you would, be depart from me. And he threw them into the lake of fire. So I say thrown away. You may not like that, but that's kind of what the Bible says. Those who are put into the lake of fire forever, apparently they're levels of harshness. Anybody want to explain that? I don't get it. But why do I know it's true, Mary? Jesus said it. So... That's just how that is. Now, if they do not receive you, he says, shake off the dust. Don't let the opposition get to you. Shake off the dust. Lead the results to God. If he says, go back and re-witness, Charles, go back. But he may say, don't go back. You get it? He may say, no, you have done something. I'm going to send somebody else to gather in what you have planted. Or You have planted, they have said no, it's an irrevocable no, and it remains a no. I may or may not send you or others back, but it will never be a yes. Never think that if we can witness to someone a number of times and say it in a certain way and give particular illustrations, that that will break a hard heart. Only the Holy Spirit breaks the hard heart. He uses the gospel, but it is not we who do that. So let us be disabused of the burden of, oh, oh, how did I do? I hope I could do. I, I think I need to do better. I have to fight that when I teach and preach. I have to fight it. Oh, Lord, did I do it? And, and it's, no, 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 no. Leave it alone. You did what I told you to do. You did it imperfectly. Can you receive that? You did it imperfectly. But be glad that God receives and is blessed and filled with joy with our per- imperfect obedience. Imperfect obedience thrills the heart of God. Oh, would you not think that? Oh, my word. How can that be? Because everything we do, somebody said this, I can't remember, maybe Bill remembers it. Everything we do is stained with sin. Everything, even our teardrops of repentance are stained with sin. Everything's imperfect. There's only one man who kept it perfect. Who? Amen. So don't strive to be perfect. 
Strive to be as obedient as the Holy Spirit gives it to you and as you understand. And allow the Holy Spirit to give you the joy of God the Father. So the rejection proves what Jesus said in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it first hated me. You see, the world's rejection of the gospel and rejection of us who are containers of the gospel is the world's rejection of Christ. And what does that rejection look like? Crucify him! That's what that rejection looks like. Remember that? That's what it looks like. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise. Sheep. Do we remember how many... I don't know whether everyone has seen a sheep, a pet of sheep, but have you ever noticed the fangs that are in a sheep? The long fangs and the sharp nails. Do you ever see that? And you go near it and go, wah! I mean, these sheep, man, they got the armor, they got the build, they got the strength, they got everything. They have everything that it needs, they need to naturally protect themselves, right? No, they're about some of the most dumb, unprotected, you know, senseless animals when it comes to wolves, whatever. They smell something. They couldn't protect themselves from whatever. Totally defenseless. Totally dependent upon a shepherd. He says, I am sending you out as what? Sheeps. Sheep. Amidst wolves. Well, how many, 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 how many? I mean, well, what you mean? What you mean? <laughs> when you feel defenseless and unable and etc., you're supposed to. May I say it again? When you feel unable and defenseless, whatever, what? You're supposed to. Why? We are what? Sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. We're sheep. There ain't no lions in here. There ain't no tigers in here. We're a bunch of defenseless, weak, unable sheep. Why defenseless? Hasn't, hasn't God armed us with the full armor of God in Ephesians 10, 6, 10 to 18? The full armor of God. Well, what's the answer? Why we are defenseless? There's a wonderful verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And it says this. We have this treasure. What treasure? Christ. Joe, Christ in us. We had this treasure, the Holy Spirit, the gospel. We had this treasure in earthen vessels. Weak, fragile vessels that if you drop it or do something, it'll crack it or scratch it. He didn't say strong iron vessels. We had this treasure, what? In earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of us. Now look at the word power there. It's the word dunamis. D-U-N-A, D-U-N-I-M-U-S, I think is, I have it spelled here, there it goes. It's the word dunamis. We have the power of God, but we are sheep who have power. It's the same power in Acts 1-8. Behold, I will give you what? The Holy Spirit will come upon you with what? Power. He will give you power. It's the same dynamite power, dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S. We have the explosive Holy Spirit power in us. We are sheep. We are not powerful. 
We are not great. We are not anything but sheep. The greatness and the glory and the power belongs to God in and through us. Amen? Therefore, when God is doing the work, honor that work in a believer, but don't adulate and exalt the believer. Don't think, oh, my teacher, my preacher, my dad, my brother, my whatever, is absolutely great. God sees him and makes him great in the kingdom, but we are to see that it is God who is great in sheep. You see, this is the same power in Luke one thirty-five. Some of you may not remember some of these verses. Luke 4.14. Remember, Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The dunamis of God unto salvation. Romans 5.15.19. Ephesians 3.20. So, yes, the people of God have been armed with the dunamis of God. But that power functions with those who live as sheep of God's pasture. It is this. The doorway to receiving Not residentially. Residentially, the power is in us. You got that? Residentially, the power is in us because the Holy Spirit is. But when I say the doorway, I'm talking about the door that, if you would, opens the flow or opens, you know, the the way to the flow of God. The doorway to this power functioning in me is humility. Is humility. Is humility. So what does 1 Peter say? 1 Peter 5. He says this. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time he may exalt you. He exalts us, not one another. Casting all your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. Look to him. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. James 4, 7. What does he say? What does James 4, 7 say? Submit yourselves to God. Humble yourselves. Recognize you ain't the power. And submit to God and ask him. And regularly confess. Not I, but you. Then you resist the devil. And then he will flee from you. You know, I have to tell you this. And I've said it before, and God knows it's true. <laughs> Every time, you know, if, if I'm going to, let's say, doing a sermon, or, or I did a funeral Friday, a Friday. Some of you, I don't know if any of you were there. I absolutely am afraid. I'm afraid. What, afraid to stand before people and talk? No. I can do this like breathing. <gasps> I'm afraid because the Lord hasn't taught me anything. No. He's taught me a few things. I'm afraid of doing it on my own and speaking with my own mind apart from the leading and the hearing and the administration of the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid. Jane can tell you this. I am afraid. AJ, I'm literally afraid. Paul says, I came to you in fear. I understand that. I am afraid. When I come into this room, I don't come into this room haughty and ready and know I have something. I don't come that way. I come in here very, very concerned, even though I have notes. 
very concerned that Peter Davidson will be in the way and muddle this work. You see, I can't do it. Christ in me, Christ in you, by the Spirit, does it. That's where the power is. If any of you, even this morning, have been touched by anything that has been said, Peter Davidson is not the reason. It is the Holy Spirit who has touched you this morning through an imperfect, fallible, frail man. That's where the dunamis of God, as we are sheep, is residential and flows. Amen? Next week we'll continue.